Konnichiwa. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Kia ora, Catherine. How's it going today? Konnichiwa, Jane. I'm going just fine. You too? <laughs> yep, all good here because it's lovely and cool here today in Fukushima. I think I say this on every episode, but I think I'm super duper happy today because long sleeves are out. It's feeling very autumnal, autumnal, very fall-ish here. Fallish. So <laughs> Fallish. Yes, it is. It's also suddenly dropped down in Tokyo to 17 degrees today after that typhoon. And we can talk about the typhoon. But yes. It's so nice and pleasant out there today. Oh, my God. The morning so walk. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, we just had a rather large typhoon going by Japan, but it wasn't so bad as they were predicting, which was a relief. But, yeah, a lot of flights were cancelled and mm. school was cancelled my kids got a lucky day off school for the typhoon which they totally could have gone to school i was a little bit <laughs> frustrated about and that i cancelled my holiday so it's like yes you had to cancel your holiday yes can't the satellites predict a little bit better but you know they, <laughs> they didn't say it was going to be massive mm. and so we all heeded the warnings and and behaved and it was heavy rain, sure, and it was pretty floody out there. Floody, there's another <laughs> Y-ending word. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was really lots of water outside and wind, heavy wind, et cetera, but it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be, although that's mm. not discounting the, the terrible uh, evacuations and things that happened in Kyushu. Yes, uh, Kyushu did get rather hit. Yes, a lot of flooding down there, especially for farmers. But that's the thing, isn't it, about Japan? You've got to come here prepared for the weather. Uh, so, yeah, like, yeah, happen. if you're coming to Japan or you're in Japan for the next sort of two, three months, sort of November, we are still getting typhoons coming through. And really devastating ones can happen even in November, which is what happened here in my hometown a few years ago. So be prepared. And what does that look like? Well, it means looking at the weather report and seeing if there's anything happening, right? Because I, in your iPhone, I know a lot of people use the weather iPhone thing. That doesn't tell you anything about typhoons no. coming. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it's, don't trust that app. Just doesn't give you enough information about what's actually happening with the weather. Try Weather News. It's a much better one I use. What do you use, Catherine? Anything? Yeah, that's the one I use as well. Very, very in-depth following of every kind of weather event that you could think of. And that will give you much more information about if you need to worry about uh, typhoons for your trip. And I noticed they're also giving information in English on the TV Yay. now. You can scan a QR code that will take you to a website or something yeah. where you can see up-to-date English information. So that's excellent that those things are happening. Exactly. Raincoats, useful <laughs> umbrellas not useful right i actually it's, dug out my rugby world cup cape that i right. was given and that has been amazing to actually mm -hmm. just pop on because you do get very wet and yeah. an umbrella doesn't do it that's the usual way around japan oh isn't my god it? how many umbrella. umbrellas died during the each typhoon <laughs> in the year in, in japan yeah. you always see those poor people down walking down the street on the tv trying to keep their umbrellas up because your average japanese person does not own a raincoat so, no, they don't, no, and they don't. neither do I, but I have a branded <laughs> cape, which is keeping me really, really well. And I mean, you know, it's funny in Japan, isn't it? They have these numbers given to typhoons, like, like this mm. one was Typhoon 14, yes. whereas when my mum refers to it, 
uh, or my yeah. family, they call it the name that it's given in other countries. But Japan uses a numbering system. So we already had 14 in the whole uh, yes. series mm, this, mm. this short time already. So look out for more if you are coming up here. You yeah. really do need to be prepared. And what's been really great, Jane, too, isn't it, that over these last episodes, we've had Jandals connecting with Jandals, especially the very last couple of episodes. That's right. It's so exciting to see our Jandals finding each other and getting some collaborations happening. And already we have one between Iki Espresso and Poatu Manuka from Adam Hall. So they are offering... From September 17th, the UMF5 Manuka Honey Latte and Lemonade, right? Yeah, I want to try those. That sounds really awesome. I have never think of putting Manuka Honey in a latte. Nor a lemonade, by the way. Mm, yeah, mm. that would be delicious. And just check which shop it's actually at. It might be both. Don't want to show up at one and it's not there. Yeah, so it's always good just to check latest information. They're really so full on, Iki, at uh, Instagram, so you can always catch their latest information and there. And Poatu Manuka too are very on, yeah, on the Puatu, ball on Instagram. Still, their, you know, Adam Hall's code for Jandals is still operating. Yes. So get online. That's really useful. Yeah, it's Do really nice to scout code. code. Yeah. And also Iki has one too. So make sure you listen to both episodes, get the codes <laughs> and then get online and do some shopping and you know, be a Team New Zealand and Japan supporter and help out some businesses here. And Jane, we're going to help them out very shortly with a taste test, aren't we, of the Manuka honey? Yes, Adam was very kind to send us some samples and we're going to try them out and let you know what we think so look out for that on instagram facebook and on poatu manuka maybe we might show up on there as well <laughs> <laughs> so who do we have on the show today greg cross he crossed the equator and came on up to <laughs> japan a little bit earlier than this episode is releasing and we loved having him in Tokyo after a short time away, quite a while he's been away from Japan and giving us his fresh view, fresh. Mm. Fresh set of eyes back in Japan. Fresh. He has a lot of experience. Oh yes, fresh. fresh no, not that he is it. fresh, but. No, fresh co, right? <laughs> he works he is for fresh, fresh co. co. Yeah. And so we had his real in-depth, great tips coming up. Listen out uh, on the world of produce, New Zealand produce in Japan, how you get food on the shelves that is great, good, healthy food and how he works that and how he's had a long term relationship here. So, Greg, we loved that you came along to Japan and we look forward to seeing you again. Yes, come back soon. All right, let's hear it from Greg. Kia ora, Greg. Welcome to Jandals in Japan. Kia ora, Jane, Catherine. Nice to Hi. meet you and see you. Hi, <laughs> Greg. Lovely to see you. Welcome, welcome. So we have a warm up question for you. A or B, you're going on holiday, Hokkaido or Okinawa? I would say Hokkaido. Why is that? Um, that was a quick answer, wasn't it? Yeah. I have been to both Okinawa and Hokkaido. Hokkaido in the summer season is my favorite place because you can escape the heat and humidity of Tokyo. And Okinawa gets extremely warm in the summer. And um, obviously in the, in the winter season, it's a bit cooler, but the food is fantastic, fresh sushi the options you have in Hokkaido is great in the, mm. in the winter so I would um hands up for Hokkaido nice one how about you Catherine well I have a f confessing time right fess up O'Connell and that is 
I haven't been to Okinawa. What? <laughs> okay. But I have been to Hokkaido in the winter around February. That's my birthday month. And I went up there once for a birthday celebration during the Sapporo uh, Yuki Matsuri, ah, the snow the festival, snow festival yeah. and that was just so much fun. So mm. I'd love to go, as you say, Greg, back in summertime and do a summertime jaunt up there. I've heard it's so much like New Zealand. Yes. So I'd, I'd love to try and plan that at some point. And maybe, yeah, I've got a few friends in Okinawa as well, so I should head myself over there sometime. I'm just not a big heat, sticky, beachy kind of person. I'd prefer the mountains sort of place. So maybe mm. Hokkaido's for yeah. me. I'll choose Hokkaido. Yeah, I would choose Hokkaido as well for the same thing that Greg said. But if you fly into Hokkaido, it's almost like, oh, I'm home kind of feeling, especially for a South Islander like myself who comes from Fiordland. Um, it's like, oh, look, there's all these trees near the airport. And it's really weird. Yeah, really lovely feeling flying into Chitose Airport in Sapporo. So that's, a, that's my shallow reason for wanting to go there. But yeah, I'm not a big beach person either. Uh, Catherine <laughs> so yeah I would choose yeah. Hokkaido over Okinawa sorry yeah, Okinawa I, <laughs> I was gonna say I guess with the the line of work I've been involved with most of my life with horticulture agriculture it's got a re resonance with uh, New Zealand as well the, the production the growing the vegetables the clean air everything so it's, it's uh, mm -hmm. feels like home you're right well tell yeah. us a little bit more about that because you know you are an old hand in japan and i don't mean old in age i mean you've been here a long time you've also come back again now you're right here right now in japan right you're back we just really thought our focus of the chat today with you could be around exactly that your impressions things about uh, japan uh, that you are experiencing and wanted to share with other people right now but just before we do that just go a little bit into that background you've got there the maybe the post-it version post-it note version of what's brought you here to jandals in japan today yeah basically when i was at high school i started learning japanese and that was um in the late 80s when oh, now i've given it away now but in the late 80s the main languages you could learn were french latin or german and then there was a small amount of Japanese coming through. And we had a, at the high school I attended in, in Auckland, a teacher who had been in Japan living in Fukui for about three years, teaching English and whatever. And she came back to our high school and decided to set up a Japanese program. And she was passionate about Japan. So I thought I'll give that a try. I tried French and didn't quite go with that. And then she got us excited about Japan and we ended up spending, I think it was at the time, year, oh, sorry, sixth form, year 12, I think. We spent the next year fundraising to make a trip to Japan, do an exchange with a Japanese high school. And that meant a lot of mowing lawns and selling firewood and all sorts of things to, to raise money, which was fun. It also meant a few fairs at our high school. So that was my first taste of Japanese food. I managed to try okonomiyaki and chocolate dipped bananas. <laughs> <laughs> a classic Japanese dessert. Which, um, as you'll know from Matsuri's, summer Matsuri's in Japan, they're, they're sort of uh, very popular. Came to Japan when I was still at high school my last year. And, and at that time, there was uh, a growing um, focus on Japan for horticulture exports, particularly kiwifruit. That was when the kiwifruit industry was in its infancy. But I could see, you know, I like traveling Japan and, and the connection with horticulture. So came back from the trip to Japan and thought, oh, university or I had an opportunity to go working so I went working in the horticulture industry and um, sort of basically learned on the ground sort of had on the job training in the horticulture industry 
dealing with the growers, dealing with pack houses and arranging shipments. So that was sort of my introduction to it. And, and then I managed to um, get an opportunity to work for a Japanese trading company based in New Zealand. He taught you. Is one of oh, the okay. major Fabulous. trading houses. They at the time had an office in New Zealand and they were uh, arranging purchase of a lot of foodstuff items. And that involved obviously kiwi fruit at the time, onion, squash, and a lot of meat, um, fish products, frozen vegetables, etc. So um, I think a lot of people in Japan don't realize that a lot of the processed food that they get up here it has a lot of ingredients from New Zealand sourced. Mm. Is, um, you know, you could buy your uh, kariru box mm. from uh, Glico. That includes New Zealand-made onion paste, for example, sure. in the box, mm-hmm. and uh, things like the sweet corn soup, um, the the powdered soup, which you can buy in the convenience stores in the cup. You add water, and you've got instant corn soup or pumpkin soup. That's all made from Gisborne, New Zealand-grown sweet corn powder and pumpkin powder. So there's a whole range of New Zealand uh, produce ingredients and food items that people don't probably realise jam because they don't need to label the origin of those key ingredients sure i got offered the opportunity with freshco to um get more involved with their in in the same industry but um be based in asia and that happened to be japan with my lovely wife is japanese who i met in gisborne and um we raised our family in gisborne and we had a chance to come back to japan for a few years and and be based up there so it'll be a great chance for my wife and our children to spend time with um, the Japan side of the family. Wow. We're pretty fortunate. That's the opportunity we had with Freshco, and I was obviously based in Japan, but um, involved in the business throughout Asia. But Japan was the base, and it's funny. I'd sure, get on the that's plane when and... I met you, isn't it? I think Correct, yeah. around that time we used to meet each other quite often at the New Zealand Embassy when you were at Freshco. I remember receiving almost where we were standing in the embassy when I got your card. And I think we had a bit of banter at that point, even about blues and crusaders at that time. <laughs> probably right. Yeah, I think at that time, this, there's a few super rugby games being played in Japan when the, was it the Sun, Sun Wolves. The, the Sun Wolves. Yes, exactly. And a few of the New Zealand teams would come up and the, and the embassy would arrange a reception. Yes, that was fantastic. Right. Yeah. That was fun, wasn't it? So it sure was. So you've been with Co then since 2015 or 2015, as we say in Kiwi English. Right, 2015, yes, correct, yes. that's right, yeah. And right through till now. So how's things changed? What's different about your business now compared to those earlier days when you first came to Japan? Some things have changed and some haven't changed. It's interesting, in our industry that we're involved with, we have partners that go back almost 30 years that we've been dealing with fresh produce from New Zealand, mm-hmm. and they're still remaining. Probably half of the customers had that long relationship and that probably goes back to the key part of the business, the relationships you have with your partners or your customers. They can last a very long time if you have that, develop that trust mm. and uh, provide them what they need and find solutions. And it becomes more than just a business, your friends as you come through. So that's uh, pretty important. The things that have changed, there are some new businesses developing in the last few years. The retailers have started to want to deal more directly with suppliers. Mm. So there's a lot of traditional um, distribution channels in the fresh produce industry, which um, have been around for many, many years. And so it's pretty hard to cut those out. But there are some retailers who are developing their own in-house resources for logistics for um, starting to deal directly. And that's a trend throughout Asia as well, not just Mm -hmm. in Japan, but so there's case by case. We deal with importers, we deal with distributors, and sometimes direct with retailers, but we respect them all. I think one of the key things I've found over the last few years is being transparent with everyone, transparent and open. Japan is a big market, is what 
120 million people living here. Really? Um, but in our industry with the retail, the food and fruit and vegetables, it's actually a small world. <laughs> everybody right. knows everybody. Mm. So there's a lot of crossover. So you have to be pretty open and transparent. You don't want to cross over places. So if we've got new business opportunities, we'll always be upfront and explain what our existing business is and then see if there is an opportunity where we can develop more business because I still think there is more room to expand around the market. The retail sector in Japan, as you know, with the supermarkets, is a wide range of supermarkets. Back in New Zealand, we have a basically a duopoly where there's two major mm. players. I would say in Japan, there's um, several hundred options for retailers in different <laughs> regions as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think when I was living in um, in Tokyo, I could walk to six different supermarkets within ten minutes of my home. So there's so many choices and options. Wow! Yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? It's the, a really good point you've put, pulled out there, the difference. And that's what New Zealanders coming into Japan need to be aware of, very much so. That's right. And there's different levels as well. You've got the, some of the very high-end retailers based in the big major cities, Osaka or Tokyo, which cater for that uh, high-end imported product. And, and there's an opportunity there for New Zealand products that are targeting that niche. Then there's your mid-range supermarkets and then your lower-end supermarkets. And and it depends on the region as well. So when I went back to New Zealand, I got a bit of a shock when I first went to the supermarket and filled up the trolley. <laughs> the, yeah. the food prices in New Zealand have yeah. been on the increase mm. and they are again now, whereas Japan generally, it's been pretty flat. I think it's just slowly starting to change, but the challenge is getting the retailers to increase the prices. Mm. I think I was um, listening to one of your earlier podcasts where you mentioned something like 8,000 items have moved in price which is great to hear <laughs> it's slowly starting well right. certainly the bank of japan uh head there thinks that that's the way to go and he's been tight-fisted the last few days in their business their conference saying we're just going to do it this is the way we are we're staying put and so all these prices are going up it's going to be good for the economy let's see i hope he's right mm. yeah i hope so as a, we're growers we're suppliers our costs have been increasing every year you've got labor cost in New Zealand is <laughs> people can't believe when we explain the minimum wage if we have to employ seasonal workers for packing is double or two and a half times what the minimum wage is in Japan for a part-time job. I think right. it's around a thousand yen on average yes. in Japan for a, yes. if you wanted to part-time. New Zealand's getting up over two, two and a half thousand yen equivalent mm. per hour. So tell us how it's been for you coming back to Japan now. You were in Japan in 2021 when you moved back to New Zealand, but how's it been coming back to Japan on, bus on a business trip for you this time? In some ways, it feels like my second home, so it's sort of coming back home, so it's pretty comfortable. But I do have my um, business partners with me as well, and they haven't been able to be in the market for three years. For them, they've been really looking forward to get back in front of the customers and face. And, and honestly, when I was, was up here with the COVID situation, many of those customers were unable to have face-to-face -face meetings anyway because of the company policy. Um, so there were a lot of Zoom calls even when I was in Japan. So getting back face-to-face, -face, um, I'd say 98% of our customers now are able to meet face-to-face -face mm -hmm. and enjoy those meetings. You still have to not endure, but respect and have masks on when you're um, during the meetings and communicate. They have plastic dividers in between you, but it's still great to be able to talk to them. It seems to be um, the meeting in the office and the in the boardroom is all very formal like that. Then you'll go out and they'll invite you for dinner and drinks. The next day, all the masks come off and it's all go. <laughs> so in the yeah. restaurant environment, it gets a bit more relaxed there. 
And what have you been able to achieve on this trip then that you haven't the, potentially been able to achieve from a Zoom call back in New Zealand? Yeah, I would say the difference is getting a real feeling and uh, having more frank discussions. On the Zoom call, it's more structured. You can actually and present information. A lot of our partners like to see data and facts, so we're able to do a presentation and leave them with something to take back and they can ask questions as well. So that makes a big difference as well. And, and getting more than just one person joining in the same room is great as well. They feed off each other and ask different questions. So getting that direct feedback and understanding has been good as well. And just they're happy to see us. We, we have a lot of our business partners in Japan who were frequently visiting New Zealand as well. They'd like to bring their buyers from the supermarkets or their partners down to New Zealand, see the actual fields, see the crops and everything like that. So they've missed that as well. But just seeing us as a good start. So it's been great re-engaging in our relationships, I guess is what you could call it, rather than through a video screen. Right. So the actual point of coming here then to Japan this time was to meet people again in person. Have there been some other things that you've been creating, some new opportunities, or are you really going back into that uh, depth of the relationships you've already got here? Yeah, that, that's one part of it. Obviously, New Zealand for fresh produce is counter-seasonal supply. So we're just coming out of the Japanese winter, heading into summer up here now. And, and most of the New Zealand produce, the squash we supplied during the Japanese winter, so February through until May. So with our squash partners, the, the, the squash season has just finished. So it's a good time to come and uh, review the season. And we've got to start planning for next season as well. So one of the key points is to tick off what happened in the past season, but also start getting some plans together for the coming season, which has been very positive. And we have achieved that, which is good. We've got a good sense, a good feel of um, what they're thinking, where we're heading. They understand our challenges in New Zealand. We have either whether it's weather or it's uh, COVID-related or it's shipping-related or cost-related. So it's good to reinforce all of those issues face-to-face. -face. It's not easy these days for business, but you've got to hang in there. And having that opportunity to meet them and explain all that again does give them uh, confidence that we're committed to the business. We're serious about it. That commitment is, is important both sides. Actually, one part is the squash. And we, we, we're a big player in the fresh apple exports up to Japan as well. The fresh apples are at a younger stage in the Japanese market compared to the squash, which has a 30-year history. The apples are more recent, the last five, six years really, where the volume started to increase. So it's mm -hmm. sort of mid-season now for apple arrivals, so it's perfect timing to be up here, see, check the arrivals and see how the sales are going through to the consumer and understand what's needed and how much we need to promote more or support. And um, it's been interesting. Some of our partners have been able to um, restart in-store sampling and tasting, which is important for Japanese consumers, mm -hmm. which has not been available in the last two and a half years under the COVID situation in Japan. So Japanese consumers are always happy to look, but unless they taste something now, a little yeah. bit hesitant, right? So yeah. when I was in Japan or even visiting for business trips, we'd love to go to the department stores, the foods, food get floor, all the free tasters, B, yeah. B1 or B2 and check exactly. out all the different, mm. different food. That's a favorite so pastime for foreigners, mm. I think, visiting, visiting Japan. <laughs> with Freshco, then you're kind of an umbrella looking after different business partners with different produce right so you've got your business partner that may be dealing with squash or apples is that right or and you're also doing your own branding freshco here so just to clarify that for me what you're doing yeah just to clarify so freshco has been involved initially in trading 
produce to Japan for 30 odd years as a trader, but um, the business has evolved and we've now become fully vertically integrated on the apple side. We have our own orchards, our own pack houses in Hawke's Bay and Nelson. And so we have our own, we call IP varieties or plant PVR, our own exclusive varieties. Sorry, we've bred the varieties. So we've got mm-hmm. those we can market as well as the, right. the Royal Gala or the Fuji, which are the more standard yeah. commodity yeah. varieties. So we've got a few of our own private brand varieties which we're promoting in, in markets of Japan and Asia. We have Breeze. Breeze, Breeze is, yes, that's the one. Bre- yeah. Breeze apples are now starting to get a bit more popular yeah. in Japan, so yeah, we're working are. on that. Mm-hmm. And we have Sonia, which is coming later, and there's Pink Lady, which is oh, more Lady, the late. Yes. yes. So we're, we're handling the Pink Lady. We're, we're, but most of our customers, number one request is for Fuji apples. And Japanese consumer mind apple equals Fuji. So. Yes. So New Zealand does have Fuji apples and we do have a bit of a challenge to enter the Japanese market for fresh apples. Unlike other fresh produce, whether it's squash or onions or kiwi fruit, um, that's pretty straightforward. They do a phytosanitary inspection in New Zealand, then they can enter Japan. Apples have to follow a protocol which was established many years ago between the New Zealand and Japan government, whereby we first have to um, fumigate the apples in New Zealand, then we have to cold treat them for 25 days. So there's about a month delay after packing before we're actually able to ship. And we have to pack them all in a netted bag to protect from insect infestation, for example. So a lot of that was to do with the um, Japan JA, Japan Agriculture yes. Lobby, which is very powerful in Japan. Mm-hmm. And a, as you'll be aware, Japan apples are very famous and there's big production in Tohoku region. especially uh, Aomori, and they do grow amazing apples, no doubt. Japan probably has some of the best apples in the world in in the peak season, but I think some of those apples are handled by hand. Maybe I heard something like 70 times before they're actually harvested, or I'm not sure if that number's right or not, but it could be something like that. But uh, the way they're so intensively looked after by hand is incredible, but that's why they cost so much, I guess, for the Mm. premium apples. Yes, Whereas New Zealand apples have been more innovative and developed production techniques, which are much more efficient and can produce much higher tonnage per hectare. And and I think the New Zealand apple industry is recognised globally as one of the most uh, cost-effective, efficient apple production countries in the world. Mm-hmm. So there's been a big uh, increase in apple production in New Zealand. It's great to be able to get some of those apples into Japan because mm-hmm. they are going around Europe, Asia, USA, everywhere. So. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to see the snack size apple coming into Japan right. because I love to have a snack size apple, whereas they are not have not been available here before. But your average consumer in Japan doesn't really understand the value of a snack size apple yet. That's right, and yeah. and that's what we've been working with our partners in Japan. Um, the it's a value pack that the snack size is better for the family unit. Where obviously in New Zealand, um, apples are a snack where the your, your children can pick up an apple and munch on the whole apple, and that's a great snack for them, perfectly healthy. Traditionally in Japan, the, the large apple is gifted, and that would be first peeled and then sliced up and shared with the whole family as a dessert, for example. So yes. That's one of the challenges we have in Japan is educating the consumers that the skin of the apple is actually the nutritional value as well, so there's yes. no problem to eat the skin. So yeah. That's one thing we try to point out with uh, some of our labelling. Obviously, the New Zealand origin is important because uh, Japanese consumers are always worried about the origin of produce in in Japan and the food safety aspect, which New Zealand has a very good image and reputation. And and I think uh, 
oh, I know that Zespri's done a fantastic job in the, in the market here with their marketing and promotion. And obviously being from New Zealand, that the consumers have a lot more trust in New Zealand product. And that goes along with other food products, whether it's meat or seafood. And uh, it's, it's great that New Zealand's reputation is considered very high and premium by Japanese consumers. Mm-hmm. So what would be your top three tips for people in New Zealand who are coming to Japan? They were planning their trips to Japan in the next for business few trips months. to yeah, Japan. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of Kiwis out there that have been to Japan several times, so they'll be familiar with the requirements. But anyone entering the market for the first time and wanting to develop new business, I think the first thing I'd say is you, you need to have an open mind. It's all going to be quite new up here, and and be prepared to listen and uh, try to understand the existing structures in the business, how it works, because it is quite different than many other markets and. And that can be challenging or mind-blowing for some people to get their head around that there's so many steps in the chain before it actually reaches the consumer. It's case by case, but that, that can be a bit daunting. I think, yeah, but just have, so have an open mind. Um, I think the other thing is be prepared to offer solutions. New Zealanders are very good at finding solutions because it's not a perfect world we live in and everything we do is always not 100% perfect. Problems crop up along the way, whether it's, shipping delays or some quality issue but i think uh, new zealanders are pretty well known for finding solutions and helping options whereas a lot of our japanese partners are sort of the way the society is with the education system and the business system they have to follow the rules and it's pretty hard to think outside the square whereas that's one of the key advantages i think new zealanders offer in this market so that's was that one or two? I'm not sure. That's two, absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's two. And I think from my own personal perspective, I think being honest, transparent, and trustworthy is important. These relationships are built on the, on the trust you have, and, and being open and honest, I think, is one thing that uh, Kiwis are pretty good at. We can come in here and gain trust, and that, that strengthens the relationship, and then you can develop the business. And that means, but you also need to have patience with that as well. That takes time. You can't walk in here and expect to have a deal within one week, probably. You need to allow enough time on your strategy or plan to um, visit the market several times before you may get a deal. But it's important once you do get that deal, then they'll be pretty loyal. They'll be very loyal and you'll be able to continue and develop that business. As I said, for Freshco, we've had partners in the market for more than 30 years. So you don't have that sort of loyalty without having a good trust and a good relationship. Right. And Greg, any other like trends at the moment you're seeing in Japan, because you haven't been back for a while, something that you've seen trending in this kind of, shall we say, post-COVID era in Japan, what's popped up for you? Well, I think in the sector we're involved in, in the fresh produce sector, we, we get to meet a lot of the, the retailers and the buyers. And uh, they had a pretty much, the, when COVID first hit, they had a bit of a boom because of the restaurants closing, everyone eating at home their sales actually lifted considerably. So they were very happy. But now it's sort of settled down. Restaurants are back open. Things are more normal. They're finding their sales are getting back to normal, slowing down a bit now. So they're saying to be innovative, they need to offer more convenience type options for consumers. And some of the produce we're handling, like the squash, for example, is is, um, a very traditional vegetable. And um, the older generation, which is pretty numerous here, that they're familiar with their traditional nimono or steaming style for the squash, but the younger generation, the young families, how do they cook or how do they prepare for the children? So we're trying to come up with some innovation, innovative recipes or cooking methods that are quick and simple, but can deliver something tasty, which the children like. So 
part of our strategy with Freshco and our squash partners at Three Good Men is to get close to the consumer and offer those sort of options. How can you prepare the nutritious, healthy squash in an easy, simple, simple to use way? And and that's probably we've tried to decommoditize the whole squash image to become a value-added, healthy, natural product that say children can enjoy getting that through. So we have some local contractors based here in Japan that we develop recipes, a celebrity or a TV celebrity chef slash nutritionist who have come up with recipes. So, and we, with our retail partners, we provide them with QR codes to put on all of their bits of squash. And that can link straight on the mobile phone to some recipes, the recipes of the week. So that's the sort of innovation we're trying to do and keep things moving. So that is sort of, brilliant. I love it. I haven't heard of anybody doing that. No, we've, we've sort of been innovative in that space with, with the squash particularly. And obviously, we're going to try and follow that on with the apples as well. And things like apples, eating the skin, snacking and, and convenience. Right. That's a, a key point. Leading the way. That is fantastic, Greg. Trying to keep 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 things moving and onwards. You can't just sit back and wait. You always have to look for something new. And, and obviously, social media is a big thing globally and in Japan with the such things as line accounts, Instagram, Facebook, it's more the younger ge- generation at the moment, but that will change over time. So we need to invest more in that space. There's the traditional, I know Amazon or Rakuten are very big with online shopping. It, it, there's a little bit of produce or processed food starting to come through now, which is great to see, but traditionally that's been difficult because of the logistical challenges and numbers and there's still some of our partners that we call them retailers, but they're actually the um, home delivery. I would, I, I think it's the precursor to the e-commerce with a um, co-op system where the a weekly magazine comes out and uh, the household will order what they want. It gets delivered the following week in the chili bin on the front. It's a very good system, efficient, and, and the consumers trust that a lot of that is about trust. The co-op is providing all the safety information, the trust direct from the grower sourcing. So we're some of our business with the apples and squashes involved in that as well. So that um, will change. I actually had the opportunity yesterday to meet with one of the largest co-ops in, in the Kanto region, and they were preparing their weekly magazine. And uh, I didn't realize they have 5 million members, and every week they issue 2 to 3 million of their magazines to their members to select. So that's uh, amazing when you're dealing with the, the numbers like that. Mm. There was one comment made that the magazine was very thick. It was like reading a, a, an old style thick magazine with all the pages, not just food items, but all arranged things which you can order. And someone asked, can you, can you actually, why aren't you doing that online? And the answer from the buyers was more than half of our members are 65 plus, and they don't have access to the online technology i suppose so they're used to so i guess over the next 10 or so years 15 years that's going to change as well as people get more techno uh, savvy especially with the older generation yeah i noticed the co-op truck going around my neighborhood delivers around here and sometimes they try and get me to join and and they have these beautiful magazines that they put a lot of work into that come out every week it's amazing but yeah, yeah, your average, even your average parent and, and doesn't use technology a lot here where I live outside of Tokyo. And it is still very much paper-based how people are being marketed to. My local supermarket has sent out a flyer saying, we now deliver. <laughs> if you call us on the phone, you can place an order 
and we will deliver it the next day. And I'm like, well, this is obviously for the elderly who still have phone, you know, home phone lines and want to call someone and order their food for the price of the taxi or less than the price of a taxi to go to the our supermarket is a good sort of 10 minute drive away. So it's helping that need there. But I was like, well, this is obviously not for me because I do not want to pick up the phone and call someone and put my supermarket order in. But yeah, this is still, this is a brand new service that we're now having here <laughs> from our local supermarket. I yeah. think it's also, you think about it, they may want to stay home too because of COVID-19 concerns. And True, I think yeah. also for, for the elderly, it's also some place to be able to speak to somebody. So they can say, you know, the, the, those those grapes or those biscuits, what were they called? The Oh, that's right. And they'll have a little chit chat about that as well. So I can imagine there's a bit of communication going on there too, to be keeping in touch with people, but not necessarily going to the supermarket. But that's very interesting, really interesting stories, Greg. And just as we wrap up, I, I would think it's really important that people who are listening to Jandals in Japan podcast have some other maybe tips or insights from you that they should be following uh, to be really great jandals in Japan and have success like you have here. Anything just to wrap up there that you've thought about? I think I pretty much covered a lot of that, but yeah, as I said earlier, um, coming up with open mind and uh, look for solutions and, and and try, obviously we have to respect the culture that's up here and, and there is a fantastic culture in the food sector specifically. I mean, I've got one of my, a colleague with me who's never been to Japan before and she's just blown away by the options and food and everything that's that's around. So Japan is a very much a food culture country. So quality is important, taste is important, and stable supply. So Japanese consumers love their food. They know how to prepare it, and uh, they eat healthy as well. We can provide all of that from New Zealand. So I think it's a fantastic option. Yay, think, that's yay. so Thank good. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for oh, being great a great gentle. Yeah. <laughs> Spending time in Japan, it's always great. You bump into Kiwis around the place and, and they've all got different stories to tell and, and having networks up here is great as well. And just, yeah. just finishing, I think when I talked about the, the food culture here, I think there's still boundless opportunities for New Zealand companies and business up here for the food items. And, and, and I'd say having business in Asia, if you can crack Japan, you can crack anywhere else in Asia, yeah. uh, make it work. And, and, and Japan is very demanding, takes time to get there. But once you do get it established, it's worthwhile long term and you can build other Asian business off that. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Greg. You've given us so many golden, I'm going to say nuggets, golden jandals. Golden jandals. <laughs> yeah, golden jandals. That's the one. Yeah. Thank you so much, Enjoy Greg. your time here. Enjoy Thanks, the rest guys. of your trip. It's, Thank it's, you. Uh, great to talk to you. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much, Greg, for giving us an insight into the vegetable industry. <laughs> well, not one, what do they call it? The produce, produce industry. Wasn't it great? He had so many great golden jandals golden as jandals, we yes. have now coined them, right? A lovely. I really appreciate what he told us and especially during his trip here, which was really great to carve out that time for us. Yeah, he told me that they were doing over 10,000 steps every day, getting around so many different meetings and seeing so many people. So that's really great that, yes, coming to Japan does actually make a difference with taking big steps forward in your business by having these face-to-face -face meetings instead of trying to do things on Zoom, which she said was kind of not so deep and you couldn't really get a really great idea of what people are thinking or feeling 
And I could say that's probably, yeah, a really good indicator of the difference between working on Zoom and being in face-to-face with people. Yeah, I mean, Zoom is is fantastic. And thank you so much for the technology there during the last couple of years, especially. It was there before. But there's nothing that really beats that in person. You just get so much of a vibe off the 360 degrees of seeing a person, their body Mm. movements, their language, all those sorts of things. And the incidental conversations that just organically happen. What were your top tips from Greg's episode? Greg had quite a lot, didn't he? It was really hard to choose. But first thing I would say, Jane, is the way that he spoke about innovation. And we talk about this word a lot, but I love that he gave some examples, and especially those recipes that he talked about that are innovating the kabucha or Swede market. And I thought that was really so so simple, but so effective to give different ways to people to prepare that particular produce for mm. their family. Yeah, because the way of cooking that boiled pumpkin is quite sort of, it takes time, right? And not everybody wants to spend that time making it, or perhaps they don't even like it because they got fed it a lot when they were kids. So yeah, giving them some really new, innovative, interesting recipes would be really, really useful. Yeah, and I think, did I tell Greg, maybe I told him when we met up, was my mum's got this great kapucha pumpkin scones recipe and it is to die for. So if, really? if anyone wants oh. that, let me know and I'll share that gorgeous recipe made with New Zealand oh, kapucha. <laughs> and pumpkin the second scones, one. yum. Sorry. Yeah. I'll move on from the pumpkin scones. <laughs> second one, what's that? Well, pumpkin scones, they're brilliant actually. So yeah, the second one would be, mm, it's hard to choose, but I'm going to go with persistence. We've had Mm. that across the episode so far. Everyone's talking about this devotion to the market long term. You know, the fruit on the tree doesn't just grow straight away. You plant the seed and it takes time over several seasons for the fruit to grow. Literally, in this case, is we've got a Mm. produce based episode. But I think that's so true. The investment and time here, things take time, but you will reap your benefits for 30 years yeah like (laughs) he's saying he's had relationships with some of his partners for 30 years that's amazing isn't it it is amazing I think that's it I mean you and I have both been here 20 years each and you know my time with Japan and yours too started before that so it is around 30 years that you start to see wow this whole picture comes together of the investment in Japan and it's well worth it definitely yeah so building that trust and and maintaining it can reap huge rewards going forward face to face is awesome come to japan it's a small world in the horticultural industry be careful about conflicts of interest because it will get round you will yeah get found out (laughs) if you are yeah Mm. doing something dodgy or something that conflicts and just be upfront about yeah what you have planned or what you're working on very good yeah Yeah, anything else great yeah and the other thing would be I loved how he talked about solutions, you know, and often Mm. we hear in business today, don't come to me with a problem, come with a solution. So I I feel I'd like to underline and highlight that one that, you know, it's really important that you bring to your counterparts in Japan a solution or an option. Maybe they won't take it up straight away, but they will certainly think about it and consider it. And uh, they're pretty good at accepting an option or a solution, but they may take time to uh, consider it and accept it. But that was a great point. I thought that Greg brought mm, out. Yeah. 
Yeah, bring your, bring your solutions. And, you know, that solution thinking or mindset that we have as New Zealanders is very valuable here in Japan, that's for sure. Yeah, I think the point is not to push it on someone and say you should or you must or you better do this. Rather, be careful in the way you present it and it can be accepted. You know, the old adage of you get more, what is it, flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Mm, it's yep. something else there's a mum coming through again on this episode is <laughs> you know you can get more things with being pleasant and happy and nice to people than you can with insisting pushing shoving your ideas to people so that was really um the three things that i got from that i thought it was a really fantastic episode and we've got some great things coming up too haven't we jane we have yes coming up next we have a wonderful wahine coming on the show she is Japanese and she has some really great stuff to tell us we're not going to tell you who it is or what we're going to talk about but be prepared for that in the next episode yeah we look forward to seeing you there right here on Jandals in Japan cheers thanks for listening make sure you check out our guests links in the show notes this podcast is brought to you today by Catherine O'Connell Law and Pod Launch with Jane. If you have a great story you think should be on the show, come and find us on LinkedIn or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. Mata ne!